0: Very good. So um, we um, just to tell you a little bit about us. Uh, I taught chemistry and physics down at Bob Jones University, and we worked there for forty-four years. And this past May, we retired. I couldn't find anything in the Bible about retirement, so we decided to keep going. We we had traveled for Bob Jones for about five years, going to schools and churches, trying to connect science and the Bible in young people's minds. Because when I was in elementary school, we had a scientist came to our school and he believed the Bible. And even though I went to a public school, that, that made an impression on me, the fact that you could believe the Bible and still be a scientist. And that really helped me. And we want to help the young people as well and uh, so we've been traveling around we've been all all over the united states It's first time in in danville though and we're happy to be here if you'd like to see our programs for the homeschoolers that's tomorrow uh the nine o'clock is for the elementary age and ten thirty for the middle and high school age so you're welcome to come and uh and see that here in this in this building and you'll see you know a lot all the rest of our demonstrations that we've brought with us we actually have like 80 some demonstrations at home. I, we don't take them all with us. Uh, but everybody likes to see their hands get set on fire. So we always, we always try to work that in somehow by, by hook or by crook somehow. Uh, I think we'll have time for some uh, Q&A at the end of this uh, session. Uh, and uh, I usually save the Q&A for evening service, but you don't have an evening service. So we'll do that uh, right after I'm finished speaking. So if you're thinking of questions, you know, jot those down. If you have a question, usually somebody else has a question as well. I'd be happy to entertain those at the end of the message today. So we are uh, talking about standing for God in the age of scoffers. See a picture of, of Noah there speaking to the scoffers of his day, and we have scoffers in our day. Let's go ahead and ask the Lord's help, and uh, then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can uh, be here in your house today. We thank you, Lord, for the praise that has already come from our lips. Um, you are the great creator, God, and uh, your, your wisdom and your power is majestic. And I pray, Father, that the folks here, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will get a sense of how wise and how powerful you are in all the things that you've created. Bless us, we pray. Help me, help me not to say anything that would be dishonoring to you. Help me to be able to open uh, the word of God in a way that's pleasing. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. So our motto for, we call ourselves the Matsco Science Ambassadors. If you'd like to get one of our prayer cards and pray for us, just see me or my wife, we have a few of these cards um, as we travel around. But our motto is, it's not science versus scripture, but science in scripture that glorifies Jesus Christ as the creator God. And uh, so that's our message today. So our text today is 2 Peter 3.3. It says, knowing this first shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust." So in our text, the Apostle Peter wants you to know something really, really important. He says, in the last days, and that's the days we live in, Peter uses the phrase, knowing this first. So in the Greek, it literally means knowing this to be foremost. Uh, he's saying that what he's about to explain is really crucial. It's like if we said, first and foremost, pay attention to this. Peter wants us and think of you to think about this idea more than anything else he's going to say. So you can understand it as him urging you to remember and grasp this important point above all else. So what's so important? Peter prophecies, prophesies how in the last days society will be characterized by scoffers who use false assertions about science to deny God's existence. This is important because it deals with our situation right now in the 21st century, Peter could see all the way to our day. So, to whom is this message addressed? Well, we see in verse 1, it says, Beloved, now I re- write unto you. And then you go to the end, in verse 17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know that these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. These verses are a direct as an affectionate plea to the beloved, those who are still faithful in their service during these last days. He's telling us, don't get discouraged, don't start compromising the message, just to please wicked men. I have a friend, Pastor Tim Stout. He graduated from UCLA Berkeley in physics. He worked as a design engineer in the defense industry before he entered the ministry, he pastors down in Texas. He's a really unique ministry. He's been on over 200 university campuses passing out hundred and fifty thousand pieces of literature, mostly about creation. And whenever he can, he engages people in conversation about origins. His method is to go on to college campuses and he holds up an article, you should say free article. And so they can see the title, they can read the title for themselves. And it usually says something about science and engineering working together to show that a living God made living cells. He intentionally and boldly proclaims God as the creator, believing that the Bible, what the Bible says in Romans 1 18, when it says that God has clearly revealed it himself through creation, even though ungodly men suppress the truth. The rest of that passage in Romans 1 tells us that God is not impressed with their attitude and holds them accountable for their refusal to worship him as God with an attitude of thanksgiving. Pastor Stout reports that when he's witnessing to atheists, our modern day scoffers, scoffer by the way is a person who mocks or makes fun of something or someone, in this case the Creator God. They typically will avoid further conversation as soon as they hear the mention of God. Uh, If some among them are still listening at this point, they are offended and leave when he brings up God's holiness and man's accountability. If someone is still listening, he goes on to talk about the young earth, about young earth creation and how God instantly created various kinds of life. Then those people take offense and leave. If anyone is still left, the final straws when Tim explains how God is in complete control of the natural processes. He established them, he controls them, and will deliberately bring them to an end. By faith, he believes the Holy Spirit still works in the hearts of many when they hear the truth declared. And he's just fearless. Uh, he was saved on the college campus at Berkeley himself, and this is his ministry to the young people of our day. The sad fact is that not only the scoffers, not only do the scoffers refuse to hear Pastor Stout's message, but many professing Christians mock him as well. The Apostle Peter calls faithful Christians like Pastor Stout and many other of my creation science friends beloved by God, because he's pleased that they're still being faithful despite the ridicule they endure. Well, what do we know about these scoffers? Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So these scoffers or mockers that appear in the last day deny the existence of any God who can intervene in the natural world and in the course of events. They have no proof of that, of course, so they just scoff to sound authoritative when they draw attention away from the actual weakness of their own position. I used to uh, facilitate an online course on uh, apologetics, on Christian apologetics, and I would have my students read an article from the Scientific American. It was uh, published in 2002 by John Rennie. And it was called 15 Answers to Creationist Nonsense. And it was interesting because he scoffs in there. He doesn't give reasoned, um, it's not a reasoned debate, reasoned arguments. He just scoffs. He said the battle for evolution has been won everywhere since Darwin introduced the theory of evolution over 150 years ago. The few that refuse to believe in evolution either misrepresent it or outright, outright lie about it. After all, he says, science has answers to mysteries that once seemed unanswerable, like the nature of light, the causes of disease, or how the brain works. He is a scoffer. These scoffers are described as walking after their own lust. God foresaw and told us about the moral breakdown of the world we live in today. People care more about satisfying their lust than learning about the truth of God. Without God's perspective, we'd be at a loss to explain why atheists hate God. I mean, how can you hate someone who doesn't exist? Did you ever think about that? You know, why the hostility? Uh, If God doesn't exist, why not just live a happy life and then at the end of your life become plant food? I mean, why all this hatred directed toward God? Nothing matters if atheism is true. (laughs) Aldous Huxley, uh, who lived from 1849 to 1963, gave a reason for his anti-Christian stance. Now, let me quote what he has to say. I think he reveals the real motivation here, and I quote, he said, I had motive for not wanting the world to have meaning. The philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. So there it is. He tells us why. He didn't want to believe in God. These scoffers take aim at man's future relationship with God through Jesus Christ when they say, where is the promise of his coming? Satan understands that Christianity makes no sense apart from the future prophetic declarations of Christ's return. No return of Christ means no day of judgment, which means Christianity is reduced to nothing more than philosophical speculations. Do you want philosophical speculations? There's plenty of churches in town, I'm sure, where you could get those. They can be ignored at will without consequence. The scoffer mocks Christ's promise as a failed promise to justify any accountability for his sins. And then when the scoffer says that all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation, they're really declaring what's become the foundational principle of the Big Bang Theory in our day. They're assuming that natural processes are adequate to explain everything that ever has or ever will occur, no matter how much scientific evidence must might need to be ignored in making this claim. For example, uh, we've gotten a lot of evidence in the last couple years from the James Webb Space Telescope. In the past year, We've seen stars that are supposedly older than the universe. We've seen large galaxies that are bigger than the Milky Way that supposedly formed right after the Big Bang. This is very puzzling to them. Shows that their theories of galactic formation are wrong, but they still cling to the Big Bang despite the evidence. The evidence doesn't sway them at all. As a chemist, I was especially interested in the fact that they found atoms of carbon, a big cloud of carbon atoms, that supposedly were in existence right after the Big Bang. Now according to conventional theories, that shouldn't be. Uh, Carbon atoms are a result of old stars that have exploded like we talked about uh, this morning. So why do scoffers often talk about people being made of stardust? Did you ever hear that? And uh, Here's a famous quote. This is from a famous scoffer. His name is Dr. Lawrence Krauss. He's a famous theoretical physicist. He says, the amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. So forget Jesus. The stars died so you could be here today. This is from his book, Universe from Nothing. You know, Dr. Krauss uh, is of an age. When he came to age, he was, there was a popular song in 1970 uh, called Woodstock. And here's the chorus. We are stardust. We are golden. We are billion-year-old carbon. And we got to get ourselves back to the garden. Now, they weren't thinking about the Garden of Eden. They don't believe in the Garden of Eden. But to them, the Garden was a metaphorical place of innocence and unity and understanding. Well, if that's the case, Krauss never made it back there because in July 2018, his directorship at Arizona State was terminated because of sexual misconduct. Compare what these scoffer scientists has to say to the pure words of scripture. Isaiah 40 and verse 26, lift up your eyes on high. See who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their hosts by number. All of them he calls by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Or Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Nehemiah 9 6, you alone are the Lord, you have made the heavens, the heavens of heavens, and with all their hosts. You know, these scoffers are not true scientists at heart. When confronted with contradictions, they either say that the problems are a normal part of what makes science so interesting to study, or they say future discoveries will fix those problems. No amount of evidence will convince them that they're wrong. I did a little experiment I don't know if you've if you've played around with chat online I decide to ask the uh, chat bot uh, what is the hardest thing for evolution the theory of evolution to explain this is back in the early days okay I understand that they've they've messed with it and it's harder to get these kind of answers out of a chat GPT these days as it was back when it first started because they've been trying to suppress it. But anyway, this is this is what it said. I thought its answers were pretty good actually for a piece of code. It did pretty well. It says, first of all, the theory of evolution does not provide an, an explanation for how life first originated on Earth, and that's true. And it said the fossil record shows a sudden appearance of complex life forms without any evidence of earlier transitional forms. Of course, the reason for that is because the fossil record is actually a record of the flood. All the, all the critters that were buried during the flood. So you wouldn't expect it to be able to show you anything about evolution. And then the third thing it said was irreducible complexity. Biological structures such as the eye are too complex to have evolved gradually through natural selection. They're all parts, to, to, all the parts have to be in place in order to function. And then, without my prompting, it added something at the end. It gave me the party line. And here's what it said. It tacked on the scoffer's party line. It says, it's important to know that these challenges do not discredit the theory of evolution, but rather they provide areas for further research and investigation. Evolutionary biologists continue to study and test the theory, and new discoveries and advances in technology may provide answers to these questions in the future. And I was left wondering, what advances in technology will allow evolutionary biologists to test the theory of evolution? I think a time machine would be helpful, okay? If they had a time machine, okay, that would help settle things once and for all. As for me, I'm happy to rely on historical narrative authored by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Genesis. No advances in technology are required. These scoffers don't have a proper perspective what science really is let me define it for you science is actually the study of what exists in nature and how it works based on measurements and experiments and one important caveat there except when God intervenes okay If God can and does intervene then the scoffer has a problem there's no scientific tools available to evaluate whether God intervened in a specific event or if he did or how much he did. The scientist can explain the normal operation of the universe and no more. An example would be like when we see a flood or we see a drought. The scoffer always said that's because of climate change, right? Don't they always say that? Doesn't matter whether it's a flood or a drought, it's always climate change. And I never give a thought. To God's role in the event. By the way, if you're interested in climate change, I have a whole nother message on that. But there's a lot of com- climate change in the Book of Revelation. Okay, it's gonna be a lot of climate change there. So th- you have that to look forward to. I won't be here. I'll be I'll be gone. But anyway, a lot of climate change. And what causes that cl- climate change? Is it uh, is it emissions of CO2? No, it's sin, man's sin. The worst pollutant in the world is sin, okay? That's what caused the flood, and that's what's going to cause the destruction of the earth by fire in the last days. These scoffers are willingly ignorant. It's a deliberate, willful ignorance. Again, look at 2 Peter 3, 5 through 7. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So what are these scoffers trying so hard to forget? According to Peter, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. That is God spoke the words to command the appearance of the heavens and the objects in them as stated in Genesis chapter one. As we've seen the scoffers primary weapon is deny that God can or ever has intervened into the affairs of the universe. Whenever reasonable evidence is presented against their position, they'll first scoff at it, and then forget about it as quickly as possible. A clear example would be the scientific perspective on the origin of life. Thousands upon thousands of experiments have been performed, trying to produce life. And what, and they've had how much success in that? They've had zero success, okay? And what we found is only one conclusion and that is all cells come from cells. We've never found ever any exception to that. All cells come from cells. That is, it takes a living cell to make a living cell. There are no known exceptions, yet they still keep trying. And then it says the earth standing out of the water and in the water. In Original Greek text, it's the, the earth coming out of the water by the word of God as well. This refers to the third day of creation, Genesis 1, 9, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, let the dry land appear, and it was so, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw it was good. So notice that natural processes didn't have anything to do with this, Uh, God's Response through Peter to the scoffer's denial of God's intervention is to declare that God does indeed intervene in our world today. Now, on to verse 6 whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Now, the land that appeared out of the water on the third day subsequently finds itself covered with water again. How about that? Genesis 7. Chapter 7, 19 and 20 says, And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills were under the whole heaven, were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. Again we see, contrary to the scoffer's wishes, God does intervene in the natural course of events. He gives Noah a heads up about what's going to happen. He gives Noah the ark blueprints he chooses the animals he wants on the ark Noah didn't have to go out with a lasso and round them all up you know he brings them to the noah he shuts the door of the ark he starts the flood he ends it almost a year later later the universality of this God sent flood is so clear in scripture that try to twist it and, and make it into something like a local flood just it doesn't really it doesn't please God it doesn't please the scoffers either for that matter and then in verse seven but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. These scoffers want to forget that God designed the natural processes, things like photosynthesis or the water cycle or recovery from disease or reproduction. I was talking to Dr. Dan Schneck who was the head of the bioengineering department at uh, uh, Virginia Tech. And for many years and um, He was a Jewish man and we got to be friends as far as I know he never came to Christ Though we witnessed to him a number of times. He said all we can do as doctors is we can put the tissues in proximity to each other If There's a broken bone or the flesh needs to heal We can sew it up and so forth put the two things together and then nature has to cause the healing to take place so God created this process of healing um, doctors and surgeons can't heal all they can do is put the tissues next to each other and allow healing to take place that God has designed uh, even the strong force everything but the strong force so people wonder well you have the you know protons and neutrons in the nucleus and then you have the electrons around that well these protons are, are positively charged and like charges repel each other how come the nucleus doesn't fly apart well in science we call it the strong force and indeed it is a strong force uh, it is god's hand holding uh, those things together so here's the strong force in the bible in colossians 1 he's before thing all things by him all things consist and hebrews 1 3 who being the brightness of his glory express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power So all is necessary for all to be dissolved and all come apart is for him to let go. And someday he's just gonna let go and the heavens and the earth will be dissolved Then he's gonna create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So continuing our analysis of verse seven, we see something else that grates upon the ears of the scoffers, judgment is coming. There's a God who rules over the earth And just as he judged the earth once with a worldwide flood, he will judge it again by fire. What will the scoffers say when they stand before the creator himself, whom they've often blasphemed as being incapable of intervening in the natural world? We get an idea from Isaiah 41. I'm not going to read it to you here. But in this passage, the Lord challenges the idolaters to prove that their gods were really gods. He asks them if their gods can explain history or predict the future or bring it to pass. But the Lord's challenges go unanswered by the idolaters there in Isaiah 41. And you're thinking maybe, you know, this passage in Isaiah is talking about idols has no connection to the scoffers appearing before the creator. Remember that the God of the scoffers is science, or should I say, scientism. Scientism is the belief that science and the scientific method are the best and only ways to render the truth about the world and reality. Scientism is the idol of the scoffer. We've seen a historic shift in our world towards science as the ultimate authority, and that clearly reveals that scientism is the name of the most worshiped idol of our day. Just as God through Isaiah challenged the idols of old, the creator at the judgment might ask the scoffers, can science explain history? Can science predict the future and bring it the past? And those scoffers uh, in the end will be silent. Uh, All their supposed accomplishments in the end will amount to nothing, just like that of the idolaters of old. They will be silent before him. In conclusion, let's read verses 8 and 9, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that a, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men cl- count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word not winning the, willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. When God talks about the nearness of Christ's coming, he's speaking from his perspective as God. He has the entire history of his works in mind. The Bible clearly states that no one knows when Christ shall return, and his desire is that everyone should have a sense of expectancy about it. Do you do you expect that Jesus will come before we're done with the service today? You know, do we have that ex- sense of expectation? That's what pleases God. If we always think that Yes, today is a day that Jesus could return. He desires everyone, including you and me, should come to repentance. As we reflect upon these words of the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 9, we're reminded of the incredible patience of our God. In a world that often rushes and demands immediate results, God's patience stands as a testament to his unfailing love and his desire for all men to come to repentance. Peter speaks to us about the scoffers who doubt the promises of Christ's return. They question why it hasn't happened yet, mocking the idea of his second coming. However, as believers, we are encouraged not to lose heart, for God's perspective on time is vastly different than our own. A day to the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. His delay is not a sign of forgetfulness, a sign of negligence, but a sign of his patience, giving us ample opportunity to turn to him. We must remember that God's patience is not an invitation to complacency, but an invitation to repentance. Just as Noah patiently built the ark while the world around him scoffed, God patiently waits for us to turn from our sinful ways. He longs for us to come to him to embrace the salvation he offers through his son, Jesus Christ. The Lord does not wish for anyone to perish, but desires all to come to repentance and find eternal life. If you find yourself here today unsure of where you stand with God, or perhaps you've been living a life distant from him, remember that his patience is a gift, an opportunity for you to turn your heart toward him. Embrace the salvation that's freely offered through Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross paid the price for your sins, and his resurrection assures us of the promise of eternal life. Don't let the passing of time lull you into a false sense of security. Today is a day of salvation. Just as Noah's ark was a refuge from the flood, Jesus Christ is a refuge from the storms of life and the judgment to come. If you feel the tug of God's spirit on your heart today, prompting you to come to him, don't resist. God's arms are open wide. His love is waiting to embrace you. Let's respond to God's patience for repentance and faith. Let's turn away from our old ways and surrender our lives to Jesus. If you're ready to take the step, I invite you to talk to me or talk to one of the leaders here at the church. Remember, God's patience is an invitation, an invitation to life transformed by his love and grace. May we respond to his call with hearts full of gratitude and a renewed commitment to follow him. So, does anyone have any questions before we end today? Yes. Um, you go to churches and schools, Christian schools. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so the question is, in churches and schools where we've been, uh, do we find that people are trying to fit uh, evolution and those ideas into the Bible, okay? And I would have to say, not the churches necessarily we go to, because they wouldn't invite me to those churches. But uh, there are more of them than there are of us, okay? So there are people, many people, who believe in what we call theistic evolution, okay? The... They believe that the, you know, the universe is 13.6 billion years old and the solar systems, you know, 4.6 billion years old and so forth. And they somehow try to fit that. They say that the Genesis one is just uh, poetry. It's it doesn't have any meaning. It's not a historical narrative, but it's not poetry. If you look at the way it's it's written, it's not written like Hebrew poetry. We know what Hebrew poetry looks like. That's not it. That's not it it's actually a historical narrative and uh... so they, they they really stretch things out of shape and and really do dishonor to the scriptures by doing that so the organization that's primarily primarily behind that is uh... organization started by francis collins who is the highest ranking scientist in the in the nsa oh, not the nsa in the um oh. it's yeah. I'm trying to think of the name of the organization he was part of in the government he was the highest ranking scientist under President Obama and he started BioLogos and BioLogos is the organization for theistic evolutionists and we sent a couple at Bob Jones we sent a couple of our scientists up to their convention at, at uh, Grand Rapids Michigan as spies because we wanted to see what they believed and they were doing things like they are praying to Jesus Christ that most evolved one and uh, and one of our guys asked about well how about justification by faith? They said yeah we got to th- rethink that we got to rethink justification by faith. And uh, so the gospel really gets damaged when you go to the theistic evolutionary perspective. So what what did Jesus think about you know how the world came about? Well they said he was you know man of his day and he was just he was just saying what you know people in his day believed. He was accommodating himself to the the erroneous beliefs of the people of his time. Well, that's not my God. Okay, my God doesn't do that. Um, uh, Jesus Christ is truth and he always spoke truth. He didn't accommodate himself to the false di- ideas of the ancient world. So they really have a low view of inspiration. Then there are the progressive creationists and their big organizations called Reasons to Believe. And uh, so they believe that again, that the earth is billions of years old that God intervenes in those billions of years and creates at various intervals, okay? You say, well, how does that work? I mean, how can you have the sun on day four? I mean, how could, how could you wait for billions of years before the sun's created? Oh, they say, you have to understand that it's not that God created the sun on day four, it's that it was hidden by clouds until until that time period, and then God parts the clouds and they can see the sun, that kind of thing. So again, they do violence to the scripture. But young earth creationists like me are really a minority in Christianity. There are a lot more people that go those routes than, uh, than actually believe what the Bible says and treat it as historical narrative. Any other questions? Where? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, um, Yes, so the question is, do we see scoffers turn into believers? And we do. I mean, I wish it was more, Uh, but there's a man named uh, Dr. John C. Sanford, and he was an atheist when he was in graduate school. He went to the University of Wisconsin. Actually, his um, research advisor was a Bob Jones graduate. And so he gave him a hard time as an atheist. And later, when Dr. Sanford got saved, he uh, he had to apologize to his research advisor. And then he spent most of his working career, he was a geneticist at the uh, Cornell University. He actually invented the, the the gene gun for adding genes to plants and that type of thing, and became actually wealthy because of that. And then uh, he became a, theist, he, w- he went from theistic evolution, he became some kind of progressive creationist. And then finally, when he reached the 60s, he became a young earth creationist. And because he is uh, independently wealthy, he can travel around and I got to hear him speak and he does a wonderful job. He talks mainly about how the human race is going downward. In other words, we, you know all the genetic material that we're made of, we call the human genome. Uh, was created in Adam and Eve at the beginning, and it's been running downhill ever since. Uh, cosmic rays come and they hit our genetic material and scramble it. Her body's pretty good at fixing it, but some of it stays scrambled and it's passed on to the next generation. And uh, he, he um, uh, shows that we're on the downward slide as far as human genetics is concerned. And he looks at our world today, and he sees all the exponential increase in autism and um, allergies and food allergies and asthma and so forth. He said, that's a canary in the coal mine showing that the human race is going extinct. So I asked him, I said, well, how long do we have until we're extinct? And he said, well, he said, it's hard to put a date on it. He says, but I don't think we have as much time in front of us as we have behind us. So I'm going to step out on a limb here and say, I think the Lord's coming back in the next 6,000 years. Okay? I'm going da- to set dates, okay? Uh, because the human race is going extinct. And uh, we can see the evidence around us. Uh, we don't think of it that way, but he's, he's been in the forefront. His book is called Genetic Entropy, so you might be interested in reading that. Um, and so he's one I can think of right away that went from being a, full, a full-blown atheist through to atheistic evolution to progressive creationists and finally to the biblical creation position. Anything else? Yes, sir. I, I've been to ask you this, but I, I stated, What do you think of the theory that's around now that the earth is not really round, but it's flat? Have you heard it? Oh yes, I've heard that. So the um the theory about flat earth. So if you're interested in that uh, there's a colleague of mine, Dr. Danny Faulkner, who happens to be a Bob Jones graduate, too, I might add. He's the astronomer at Answers in Genesis. And he's written a book called Falling Flat. And he he takes all their false arguments and and talks about why they're wrong you know, scientifically and biblically. One thing I didn't know when I read his book was the fact that that uh, flat Earthism has its has its roots in anti-Semitism. There's strong anti-Semitic origin to the flat Earth movement, and uh, so there really is a devilish philosophy that has its roots in in the wrong place. And uh, so, if you're interested in that, or you have some a family member that that believes in that, uh, get them that book, and uh, I think that'll be a big help to them. Our first time I encountered Flat Earthers was in Oregon I was in a church speaking doing a QA and a like this and uh, they came up afterwards wanted to convert me and I had never heard, heard I thought really people believe in a flat earth but anyway uh, they tried to convert me and I you know I didn't know what their arguments were so I said well why is why is the sun why are the sunsets red and I didn't realize at the time that's not in their standard repertoire so the the, the reddish of the sunsets because red light bends around the curve of the earth uh, red bends more than the blue does okay it goes around and so sunsets are red because of the curvature of the earth and they said we'll get back to you on that and I gave them my email address and I still haven't heard from him okay I don't know anyway uh, anyway there's they have lots of arguments if you if you looked on YouTube you spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff but it really play with your mind and uh, Uh, I also meet people who are uh, who think that we never landed on the moon that it's all done in uh, some studio in Hollywood or something like that and uh, so I usually tell them about how I met Charlie Duke I don't know if you've heard of Charlie Duke he's our uh, astronaut from South Carolina and uh, wonderful book he wrote Moonwalker how he went to the moon and then he didn't have anything else to live for he took his his earnings as an astronaut and bought a brewery down in Texas. A Coors Brewery, and then he started drinking too much of his own stuff, and his life fell apart. And someone introduced him to Jesus Christ, and he got saved. And his marriage got back together again. Wonderful book, and it tells you about his his uh, his trip to the moon and seeing the you know the spherical Earth from the from the space capsule and so forth. And uh, so I said, well, you know, if you believe in a flat Earth, you're calling Charlie Duke a liar. Okay, you got you got to do better than that. Anyway. So we could say a lot more about that, but what's the origins of it? I think from what I can tell is the origin is human pride. The idea that, you know, here are all these smart people that believe these things and we know better than they are and so we're smarter than they are. I think it's, it's based in human pride. So that's, that's my short, my long answer to a short question. Anything else? Yes. Yes, and so the, the question is the complexity of the cell and amino acids and, and uh, we could go on any level you want and, but it's not a scientific issue, it's a, uh, they have their religion and we have our religion and uh, they, they're looking through the lenses of a naturalistic world view. So if you, if, you, if you take that as your presupposition, that's what you believe to start with, that nothing happens in this world, like the scoffers say, nothing happens except it's natural, by natural causes and so forth, then that's the best they can come up with. So they're very smart people, and they've done the best they can with what they have to work with. But it's clear that we know, for example, that like DNA, DNA is information, and our experience is that information always comes from a mind, okay? It never comes from from intelligence, never comes from anything else and so they have to ignore all that in order to get to where they are so we're not talking it's you know when i talk to audiences people want to say what's the killer argument give us an argument i can give to my coworker and and they're all going to fall down and say the lord he's god the lord he is god. it doesn't work like that the bible says that with, without faith it's impossible to please him god has constructed this universe in such a way that it has to be understood by faith and so there's no killer argument. They can always find a way around it, just like the flat earthers can, okay? They, ne- they can always find a way around it. And uh, so all we can do is is uh, try to find a chink, all right, where things are, there's a dissonance there. You, you know, nobody's born as an evolutionist. You know, people don't come from the womb believing in evolution. They become evolutionists because somebody taught it to them. There was some teacher in high school or college or something that said something, convinced them that evolution was true. And what I would suggest is go back to that. In other words, ask them, why do you believe in evolution? What, find out what the argument is. Sometimes it'll be something like, because, you know, uh, God killed my mother with cancer, so I'm angry at him. You know, sometimes that's, you know, the thing you find. But find out what the core issue is, and then that's the thing that you can deal with. And there's lots of information on the internet. I was saying this morning that um, any of the mainstream organizations like Answers in Genesis, uh, um, Creation Ministries International, uh, Institute for Creation Research, ICR, they have a free publication called Acts and Facts. Recommend you get that Uh, organization. I'm a member of Creation Research Society. Any of these organizations publish volumes and volumes of information on just about any topic you can think of dealing with the Bible and science. So I hope you'll avail yourself of those. Anything else? Well, if you have any questions you would like to ask privately, we'll be, after the, we'll be here after the service. We'll be by the door and uh, happy to entertain any questions that you may have. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll turn it over to the, uh, those who are having the singing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could talk about the scoffers today. Lord, it's not a pleasant topic, but you warned us about their existence. You said that in the last days there would be scoffers and we've certainly seen scoffers. Lord, we, we see the articles they write, we see the TV programs they produce, we see their influence in government in the universities. Uh, Lord, for our educational system, the scoffers are there. And Lord, help us to be faithful to you, to stand for the truth despite the fact people laugh at us and, and, and and scoff at us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in this day of scoffers. For Jesus' sake, we pray.